record, this shirt on me and the fellas is cool. <laughs> and on the ladies, it's cute. Just for, just for the record. If you're new, my name is Pat Lassard. I get to be one of the pastors here. And our lead pastor, Scott Harris, he kicked off a mini-series, a two-week series last week, going over our vision and the path to the vision. And the message was about a story of hope. And it was probably the best message I've ever heard on Zacchaeus. If you missed it, I'd encourage you to listen to it. It was solid. And uh, we looked at the relationship of Jesus with Zacchaeus and this transformational work that was taking place. So it was a story of hope. And so we're going to continue on as we look at our vision and the path to our vision. This is an annual series that we do um, for us as a church. It's really important to us that we go back to the fundamentals and we say, this is who we are, this is what God has called us to, this is what we're about, this is where we're going. So if you've been with us, then it's a reminder, oh yeah, oh yeah, this is, we're going over the fundamentals, this is who we are, what we're about, where we're going, uh, and uh, what God, why we exist, what God's called us to. If you're new with us, then it's informational, right? This is uh, informational and invitational. We want you to know this is who we are. We want you to know this is where we're going. We want you to know this is what God's called us to. And there's an invitation. If you want to be a part of what God's doing here, we'd love to have you be a part. You can know real clear where we're at, why we do it, okay? And uh, it also just kind of roots us back into what's most important. It's also important, it's an important filter for everything that we do. For anything that we say yes to ministry-wise or resource-wise, this serves as a filter. Everything that we say yes to runs through this filter of our vision and our path, okay? So if we have, let's take our vision here. Our, our vision is, just a little recap of last week, to see our communities changed through hope in Jesus one person at a time. What Pastor Scott did was he pointed communities is where you and anyone else are. Where you plus one more person, that's community. Friendship, relationships, marriage, families, uh, workplaces, neighborhoods, and so on. And it's about change. It's about transformation um, of our lives. Transformation of us, and it's only happening one way. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the, the fundamental foundation that everything that we do is built off of. Okay? And it's about hope. We believe hope changes everything. And then there's this pace setter at the end. One person at a time. So it's not a hundred people at a time. It's not a thousand people at a time. It's not, you know, let's go, you know, kick butt, take names and just kill ourselves, sacrifice ourselves for ministry. It's Jesus' pace. One person at a time. Eyeball to eyeball, heart to heart, life on life, one person at a time. That's what Jesus did. And that's what the example he, he called us to. And it's really about that transformational hope of Jesus. And I got to tell you, I've seen it over and over and over again. I've been in ministry for 15 years, been following Jesus for 20, whatever, whenever November 21st, 1999 was, I guess we're coming up on 23. Um, I've seen it over and over and over again, this, this transformational work. I've seen the most addicted people addicted to the most addictive things, heroin, methamphetamine, hardcore alcoholism, pornography, 
be set free in the name of Jesus. I've seen broken marriages, irreconcilable differences, right? Be restored, renewed, healed, and even get better. Like over time, like marriages not just like stay together and tolerate each other and survive, but like even get better. I've seen bitter, unforgiving people find forgiveness in Jesus and then be able to extend forgiveness to other people who've hurt them in grievous ways. I've seen self-centered people, greedy people, become selfless and generous. I've seen judgmental, critical people become kind and compassionate, understanding and thoughtful. You know what I'm saying? Like over and over and over again, the transformational work of Jesus really changing real people's lives and real problems. Real problems. Now, it's not all butterflies and rainbows, right? There's, life is hard. And I've seen real suffering, real pain, real loss, real tragedy. And people, because of their hope in Jesus, not run run away when push comes to shove, not just be passive and hoping just it goes away and the conflicts go away, but press in with God and in community with others. Hope changes everything. Can I get an amen? Some of that is our stories. Some of that is many of our stories, right? So we're going over the fundamentals. Okay, it's really important to us. So we have this vision. It's the target destination. It's the goal. It's the god size, faith size. We can't do it in and of ourselves. It has to be God. It has to be. Okay, so that's where we're going. Uh, and how we get there is our path. It's our path to our vision. It's a little bit of a quiz for you. If you've been with us, I'm going to quiz you right now. Everybody love that? Everybody love you to quiz? Yeah? No? No? Uh, so your first four main points there's a fill in the blank there. Passionately blank. What is that word? Passionately pursue. R radically love. Compassionately serve. Relationally disciple. Pursue, love, serve, disciple. That is our path in getting to the vision. Now we didn't just make that up. We honestly believe God has given that to us, that verbiage, that language, that, that guide in reaching the target he's put on our hearts to lead us to. We want you to know a couple things about it. It is our reproducible disciple-making process. Pretty wordy, hang with me. Reproducible disciple-making process. In other words, you should be able to look at Jesus' life to see that he did these things, pursuing, loving, serving, discipling, you should be able to look at other believers who have been following Jesus, committed to his mission, being changed by him, that are pursuing loving, serving, discipling. You should be able to look out throughout church history and see those that have been walking with Jesus doing these things. Because it all points to the same thing. It's reproducible over and over and over and over again. This is our church's language. Other churches use different language to describe the same thing. Okay, it's not better or whatever, it's just this is us. Over and over again, it all points to the same thing. It's all about spiritual maturity. 
God has a desire for you. Beyond that, God has, actually has an expectation on you that you would grow. That you would grow. You would grow in being like Jesus. That's his goal. His desire is that you would be like Jesus. You would be like his son. I'm going to give you too many scriptures to point to the same thing. They all say the same thing, different verbiage, and we're going to walk through each one. I want to make sure that you're seeing what I'm seeing. I'm just not just making up stuff, okay? Let's look to the word of God as the fundamental source in guiding us with what God is calling us, not just me, us. We're in it together uh, too, okay? So we're going to look at Romans 8.28. For those whom he, that is God, foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Thanks. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Our brothers will get you one. I'm really late to that point. To become conformed to the image of his son. To, in other words, be like Jesus. Okay, next verse. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all are being transformed into the same image. Hmm, I wonder what image that would be. From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Next verse. Colossians 1.28. It's Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. That we may present everyone mature in Jesus. Like Jesus. Next one. Galatians 4.19. This is a church leader, similar to the last verse. This is a church leader speaking to his people. I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you like Jesus. Everybody tracking with me? One more. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. I paraphrase the first part of this. The church leaders' roles are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God for these things, okay? To mature manhood to the measure and stature and fullness of Christ. They're all saying the same thing. It's all about being like Jesus. God wants something for you. God wants something of you to participate with him in this growth process of you being like Jesus. And so we have this process that we see Jesus doing his disciples doing, 2,000 years we've been doing this, to today we're doing this, pursuing, loving, serving, discipling. Today, well, last week we talked about a story of hope. Today we're talking about a story of proof. Proof, there's evidence that God's ways work. Okay, so we saw Jesus do this, and then we're going to look at the next disciple, one more disciple, another kind of generation from Jesus, and his name is Barnabas. Barnabas was a significant figure in the early church. He wasn't, uh, uh, he wasn't one of like the 12 disciples, but he was significant in ministering to an apostle. He was uh, called an encourager, so he was good at encouraging and coming alongside uh, Participating with the Spirit of God and the giftings that he had, he ministered and uh, the Greek word paraclete, paracletus, he came along and ministered uh, to a brother and changed his life. So we're going to look at that. That's kind of probably the most known part of him and his story. 
And he definitely had the gift of mercy, or I'd say most likely he had the gift of mercy in how he acted as well. So God used him in some cool ways. So we're going to look at the book of Acts, and we're going to look at this pursue, love, serve, disciple, and see how this was true in his life, okay? So here we go. Acts, and the way Acts rolls out is it's a story of the Holy Spirit with the early church. And so there's lots of different people, lots of different pieces, lots of different players, lots of different locations. So we have to, in order to look at Barnabas, we have to kind of glean from several different areas. So we're going to first look at Acts 11.24 to a simple sentence. It says this. For he, Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, period. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. Pretty simple. If you had one verse in the Bible that captured your life, this would not be a bad one. There are some where their entire lives are captured in one sentence in the Bible, and it's not very good. This is a good one. A couple things I want you to notice. He was identified as a good man. The Holy Spirit, who guided those that wrote the word of God, said this man was good. He wasn't just a moral man, a nice guy. He actually had evidence in his life that God had done something good in his life. In addition to, he was full of the Holy Spirit. That does not happen by accident. That does not happen by accident. That happens by surrendering to God and participating with God and what God's doing in his life. So he did, a.k.a. pursuing Jesus, a.k.a. pursuing, passionately pursuing God. And he was full of faith, meaning he was full of trust, he was full of confidence, he was full of security in his relationship with God. Not perfectly, he was still a man, right? But he loved God in his pursuit of God. There was connection and community and relationship with God. Okay? So that's one verse. We're going to go to uh, one more to see how he was passionately pursuing Jesus. And in the next chapter, two chapters over, next page, Acts 13 says this. Verse 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. He's going to name some. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manian, and Saul. While they were worshiping, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Okay? Oh, I forgot this part. Okay? As we look at these different verses, I want you to think about a few different things, three parts. And it's on the end of your notes. There's a God's part, church leader's part, and then my part. As you look at these stories, you're going to see God do some things. Like we just saw the Holy Spirit spoke. Okay? There's going to be things you see God doing. And then there's some things that you see others doing, like the church leaders. And then there's what the individual does or responds to. Okay? We want to be thinking about what's God doing? What's his part? What are the church leaders' part? What are they responsible for in this process? And then what is the individual's part? As it comes to application, I want you to be asking, what's my part? How does my life relate to this? What would could this look like in my life? Everybody with me? All right, now we're ready, okay? 
Acts 13. So we see that the Holy Spirit speaking, we see that Barnabas, he's not isolated on his own, but he's in relationship, in community, in fellowship with other believers. He's not on his own, acting independent, isolated, Lone Star Ranger, going out hardcore for Jesus. He's in community and relationship with others. That's key in passionately pursuing Jesus. That is an important part. We're not alone on our own. Notice also what he's doing, what they're doing. He's worshiping. He's worshiping. Now, it doesn't say that they were singing. Typically, we think that, you know, as we come and we worship, oh, that was good worship, right? That was good singing or whatever. That's not necessarily what it meant. They could have been. But he was, they were showing and expressing what God was worth to them, giving worth and credit to God. A couple ways that were listed were fasting and praying. They had, he had, they restricted themselves of food for a time to kind of downplay the physical so that they could upplay and amplify the spiritual. To hear more, remove some distractions, some physical human distractions to tune in spiritually to God and the Spirit better. And then they were talking, they were praying to God, they were talking with God. So we see they were, he was certainly passionately pursuing Jesus in a couple of these ways. Passionately pursuing Jesus looks like a lot of different things. It can look very dynamic. Not, not crazy, but multifaceted. What does it look like in your life? What does passionately pursuing Jesus look like in your life? As a disciple of Jesus, as one who's following Jesus, committed to to his mission, being changed by him, what does it look like for you to pursue him? He goes on, and we continue to learn more about him, like radically loving one another. This truly is a radical story, as, as we see, and this is probably the, the most known and most familiar part of Barnabas and his engagement here, and it's in uh, Acts 9, 26, Okay. And uh, so Saul, he uh, later became Paul, was given a, a new name, but Saul was uh, an unbeliever. He persecuted the church, meaning he took people and put them in jail. He broke up families and friendships and communities and churches, and he locked them away. He isolated them. Uh, he supported the murdering of one of the disciples. He caused all sorts of chaos. He calls, called, caused all sorts of havoc among the church community. And so, and the believers, they feared him, okay? So eventually, he has this radical spiritual experience with Jesus, and he learns, oh my goodness, Jesus is who he says he is. What he did was actually real. His life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, he really is the Messiah, the long-awaited one. I can't believe I was wrong. Jesus is right. And so he tries to connect with the church because that's everyone else. They're believing too, and they wouldn't have it. They did not trust him until one guy named Barnabas comes along, okay? So in Acts 9, 26, it says this. 
And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. No way, you're playing tricks, we're not having it, this is dangerous. Okay? But Barnabas, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among the believers in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Radically loved. Barnabas takes a huge risk. Barnabas takes a radical risk here. A radical step of faith. He sees being full of the spirit and full of faith. He sees that God has done something in here. God had done something in his life and changed him and transformed him. And so he was able to trust the work of God in someone else's life. With spiritual eyes, he was able to discern spiritual truths in someone else's life. And he took took a huge step of faith, which it's important to know another way of spelling faith. Four letters. R-I-S-K. Sometimes you spell faith R-I-S-K. That's an important part of following God. God is going to call you outside of your comfort zone, outside of your security, outside of your confidence into his. And there is a risk involved because you're not in control. That's an important part of your spiritual walk with God. Some of you are resistant to risk in your walk with Jesus. And that's not a good thing. He wants you to radically follow him wherever he leads you. And he wants you to radically obey in faith, R-S-K, him. Eyes fixed on him. Not trusting what we can do in and of ourselves. How we see things. How we understand things. How we can provide security and comfort and control on our own. That's not the walk of Jesus. And we have this proof of Barnabas. How he radically risked his name, himself, his reputation, his community coming alongside this brother. What does it look like for you in your life? To radically love others. Radically love others. Despite how maybe a bunch of others would see you or see them. It's an important part of Jesus' likeness. He goes on in this compassionately serving. It's actually in Acts 4, it's where we're going to go to now. It's how Barnabas first shows up on scene for us to be able to know and identify him. It's a beautiful, beautiful step. This is, contextually, this is the beginning of the church. There's a lot of chaos, good chaos happening as many people are coming to know Jesus. And there's a lot of uh, needy people and people that have and, and have not that are coming together at this time. And so in Acts 4, verse 34, it says this. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds uh, of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to any who had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called the apostle uh, by the apostles, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, 
a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Notice this. God had given him. God had provided for Barnabas. Barnabas saw there was need. Barnabas saw God was doing something cool. God was doing a God-sized work, and he wanted to join him. He wanted to join God in what the work that God was doing. And so he saw his need. He saw the opportunity. He joined God in faith, and he was generous. He generously served. He generously gave. He generously sacrificed what was entrusted to him in order to bless, serve, and minister to other people in their need. He responded, and we know it's evident. Full of the Spirit, by faith, he followed God to where God was taking him. He stepped out in faith and said, yes, God, yes. Compassionately serving looks like a lot of different things. It looks like, ultimately, God has entrusted me, you, with things, stuff, giftings, experiences, an opportunity. And then you give it. And then you share it. You give what you have and you give it to somebody else. What does compassionately serving your neighbors, our neighbors, look like in your life? What does it look like for you to share what you have? Material, non-material. Relational, time, investment. Right? It goes on to the last one relationally discipling all people. This is probably one of my, my favorite uh, parts of the story. In Acts 11, we see uh, the Spirit of God doing some uh, out-of-control things, out-of-human out of control things. It's, it's wonderful. It's fantastic. Acts 11, verse 26. So there's this pivot that takes place in this point of Acts where very much... At this, up to this point, it was a lot of Peter, and it was a lot of the Jerusalem church. But as Jesus said, you're going to go from Jerusalem to Ju Judea to Samaria and the ends of the earth. That's exactly what was taking place outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea. It's going into Samaria and the ends of the earth. It's going beyond Peter and the Jews, and now it's going more into the Samaritans, and they're responding to God. Okay, so that's where we're picking up in verse 22. Uh, the report of this, that is, many Gentiles turning to the Lord, came to the ears of uh, the church in Jerusalem, those church leaders, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. That's where it was taking place there. They sent him in. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord so Barnabas went to Tarsus for Saul, and when he had found him, he had brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. I want you to notice a few things here. Uh, the spirit is out of control. That's a good thing, right? Beyond what the uh, Christian leaders wanted and as far as like controlling and protecting, like within the Jews, that's how they had that in that box. God was in a box within Jews, within Jerusalem. And then it's starting to expand and broaden beyond what they ever imagined. 
And then they were catching up with the Spirit of God that the gospel was for all people. Okay? And so they're catching up. These Jewish leaders, they hear about this work of God in Antioch and they take one of their trusted, uh, trusted disciples and they go, trusted leaders, and they go and they send him to go and check things out to make sure that they were following Jesus, make sure, make sure that they're on the path that they're supposed to be, being true to the way of Jesus. As he does it, this is so cool. It says, he saw the grace of God. Tell me, what, what does that look like? What does seeing the grace of God look like? Can you see the grace of God with spiritual eyes, having spiritual discernment? Can you see God's grace? How I read this is that he saw people being transformed by Jesus. He saw people changed by hope in Jesus Christ, that he was transformed as the spirit of God was in them, that they had changed. They weren't who they used to be. And that was what the grace of God looked like. They, he saw God's work in someone's life. He saw the grace of God's work in someone's life. Can you identify when God's grace is at work in someone's life? When you see change and transformation and movement of the Spirit and someone responding to the Spirit in, in their pursuit of Jesus? Do you have those eyes to join Barnabas in that? It's a marvelous thing. I go back to what I had shared earlier just in opening of going, I've seen these, I've seen these, I've seen these, I've seen these, right? These hope, these transformation, these radical things. It's not always that. Life is very daily, right? And you see that movement, you see that faith, you see that grace, you see that mercy, you see that forgiveness, you see that love, you see that compassion, you see that generosity, you see that faith, right? You see those risks, you see that, that consideration, that Jesus-likeness, that Jesus movement. Call it what it is. That's the grace of God working in someone else's life. Praise God. That's Jesus-like movement. Super cool. So anyways, so he sees a bunch of people came to know Jesus. And so, uh, so they're infants in the faith. They're young in their Jesus pursuit. And so what does he do? He leaves. He says, see you later. Good luck. Ho hope you grow up. Hope, hope fierce wolves don't come in to destroy you. Hope, you know, go, let me know if you need anything. No. He intentionally, this is kind of leadership talk here. He intentionally saw the need of the disciples that they were immature and young in their faith, naturally and appropriately so. And he knew the need because he was maturer, right? He knew the process of maturing, that they didn't have it. This is their starting place. And so he intentionally, purposefully sought out someone who could come in and help and serve and give. He intentionally, purposefully sought out someone who was gifted and mature to invest in and co-labor with him in pouring into these people. And he did it. They did it for a year. I want to show you a map. It was no small little like 
hey, let's go to Muckleteo because that's where, you know, Saul's hanging out. So this is the uh, Sea of the Mediterranean Sea. And up at that northeast side, there you are, you're Syria and Israel and Egypt and Turkey, okay? Up that northeast side, that was the journey. Okay, let's zoom in. There we are. Uh, Antakya on that bottom right, that, was, that is modern-day uh, Antioch, ancient city of Antioch. Real, physical place. We're not making stuff up. The Bible's not making stuff up. This is legitimate, historical evidence, right? There's proof. <laughs> so, so he goes from Antakya up and around 50 hours if he was walking. 50 hours of walking, right? 151 miles to the current day Mersin where Saul was in Tarsus. Okay? No small endeavor. He intentionally, purposefully seeks out this man, brings him back, and then they disciple eye to eye, heart to heart. And then I love this last verse here in that, in that uh, sentence. And it says, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. I think we have it backwards often. They were disciples following Jesus, changed by Jesus, committed to the mission of Jesus, Matthew 4.19. And then they were called Christians. They were disciples first, and then they became Christ-like ones, Christians. Whereas today, I think the majority of Christians, um, and I know this firsthand, so I'm not just like, oh, I think this, but the majority of Christians don't see themselves as disciples of Jesus. I'm a Christian. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I ask for forgiveness. I'm a Christian. Period. Are you a disciple? It, it's, it's one and the same. It's one and the same. You, you, cannot, you cannot separate them. They are inseparable. A Christian is a disciple of Jesus. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, you are not a Christian. For real. That's how it started. They were disciples and then they were Christians, right? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you following Jesus, committed to the mission of Jesus, being changed by Jesus? And it's by grace. Amen? <laughs> Can I get a loud, like, thank you for the mercy of God and the grace, right? The grace. That's the only way. Because of Him. Because of Him, right? Which lead, leads us to this. Actually, I'll, I'll get ahead of myself because I'm so excited about all this stuff. It's proof, right? It's proof that this life was changed and transformed by Jesus. Jesus' ways work. It's evident. God's ways work. And he's not done yet. He's at work here. He's at work now. We have a video of some of our people, some of our voices, some of our faces, people that are relatively new here, others that have been here since the church started 30 years ago. Lots of different voices. Answering two questions. This is a video was produced for our Unite, our volunteer leadership gathering that we gather together to kick off the new ministry year. So we uh, showed this in August uh, at our gathering. So we want to share it with you. And I want you to notice, notice what they're saying. Notice these voices. Notice this life change. We asked two questions. Uh, what's the impact of being a part of North Shore Christian Church family? And then 
Who has invested in you and helped you grow uh, in this spiritual maturity? Watch this. What, um, what led you to North Shore? It's just like, this, I'm home. It's like, as soon as you walk, as soon as we walked in here, this is, this is home. I mean, this is where we're supposed to be. It's like, you get that feeling, you know, it's like, you feel like you're embraced by coming into place. What got us here to North Shore was my husband moved here um, from the military, and we actually lived just right down the street from North Shore. So I Googled it. We came here. We'd actually gone to another church, didn't like it. This one, we loved it. I got married to a man that attends North Shore. And visiting, I liked it. So when we got married, I became a part of this family. What led me to North Shore was the opportunity to impact lives for Christ at a scale and depth that really only North Shore Christian Academy offered in an educational setting. We prayed it out, we searched. Prayer and relationship led me to North Shore. We came here in 2017 with the Navy and my mom found it online and said, why don't you go check it out? Probably the biggest impact of being part of North Shore is being intentionally invited into being part of this family. The impact of being a part of North Shore is the family that I have created here and the people who have helped to raise me over the years. Something that has impacted me is going from being served to finally getting to serve, to be on the team and actually help out the community. What's really been impactful for Joyce and I is the teaching in Sunday mornings and also the school to help the children grow in the Lord. The fellowship, super genuine. The worship is a godsend, okay? And the teaching is really edifying. Something that has been impactful is the faith. You can tell people live their faith, they, they are their faith. One of the main things that I love about being a part of North Shore is our life group, getting to know other people and just walking through life and all the things that we have uh, together. That's been incredibly impactful. So many people in home fellowship groups, life groups over the years have um, had a deep influence on us. The person who has probably helped me grow the most is my friend Ginger Donahue. Belinda Franklin. My father, Damian Thompson. Lorraine Martinelli has helped me grow. Greg Schaffnitz. Our dear friends, Paul and Kathy Lowell. Larry Miller. My wife, Joyce Morrison, has been the most impactful person in my life. She has shown me who Christ is every day, every minute. Christian Karandang, he's really helped me understand more of what's going on in the Bible and really look behind the verses and all the context for stuff. He's really good with that. Dave Grant was the person who helped me the most directly to grow as a Christian. He was a mentor and he was always available with a laugh and an encouragement when I needed one. My dad has helped me by simply walking the path of life alongside me. Larry has helped us grow just uh, strong, strong faith. You could see it in the way he did his work, everything, the details of his life. He was a strong Christian. He was fun to be with. Jeff Enns has helped me grow and be more like Jesus in lots of ways. One in particular is just pursuing and seeking after obedience and what Christ calls us to do. The person who's helped me grow and be more like Jesus is Amanda Long, and she's a missionary in Scotland. Every time I was around her, I wanted to be more like her, which was ultimately Jesus, and she was an amazing mentor and disciple maker. Very cool. Woohoo! I love that. So good. God's ways work. It's evident. 
pursuing, loving, serving, discipling, following him. He's about us, help, uh, helping us grow. I, I love over and over and over again, if you noticed, a, a life, a person investing in someone else's life transformed their lives over and over and over again. And then those people are doing the same thing. It's cool. As we finish up here, I just want to uh, revisit this and, and kind of highlight this. God's part, there's the church staff's part, and then there's your part. God's part, we see him doing lots of different things, and you may have wrote down different things that come to mind. Uh, we see that he gave his son as a perfect life lived and what it looks like to follow God and, and live in faith and, and to be amazing, be amazing, you know, caring, compassionate, serving. Uh, we also see God gives his Holy Spirit to, to lead us, to guide us, to empower us to do what we cannot do in and of ourselves. Um, but he's with us, ever present. We also see God give grace and give grace and give grace. And we see him show mercy and accept anyone, everyone who comes to him, even if you were a murderer like Saul, right? Regardless of who you are, where you've been, what you've done, God is merciful. That's some of the things that we see God doing. And he's faithful. He's going to do his part in this process. And then there's the church leaders part. We see in those different stories that the church leaders had their parts in responding. Uh, it's still true for us today. The church leaders, us, we have a part, a, a part of being sensitive to the Spirit and in tune with the Spirit, being true to the Word of God as God has prescribed through His written Word. We have a part of making clear the vision. This is where God's called us to, and then the path to it. This is how you do it. We have a part of being an example, actually doing it ourselves. We also have a part, and this might be new for some of you, but we have a part to not be the paid player. We have a part to not do it of going like, I'm going to do ministry over here. No, you can't do it. You have to be a professional to do it. Nope, you can't lead. Nope, you can't serve. Nope, we have to do it because we're paid to do it. That is not the case. It's actually the opposite. Our roles, our jobs, why we are paid in full-time ministry is to be coaches. Ephesians 4.11, we looked at it earlier, to equip the saints for works of service. Our part is to equip you for the ministry, to equip you to serve, equip you to lead. That's our part, to equip you and help you do what God has called you to do and do what God's doing in you. And then there's your part. What's your part? What do we identify in this process? We see your part is to be sensitive and in tune to the Spirit of God as He's moving and working in you, calling you to grow. It'd be to participate with the growth process that He's doing. To be obedient to the Word is your part. Hebrews 13, 17 says your part is to obey your leaders. As your leaders are being faithful, following the Spirit, following the Word, your part is to obey your leaders and following them where God's leading them. Your part also is as God has blessed you, as God has given you, as God has resourced you, as God has given you gifts and talents and opportunities, that you would be faithful with those. You'd be found faithful as you serve others with those. 
as he brings you along this spiritual maturity process of being like Jesus, he doesn't want you to keep yourself to yourself as he does amazing things in you. He wants to use you to invest in other people's lives for transformation. He's not done. What's he calling you to? What's he stirring in you, inciting in you, firing up? What's he calling you to? What's he doing in you? We have a song right now we want to finish with. Have your way in us. Lord, we say yes to you. Would you stand up? Would you sing? Let's worship our King.